There are many moments in life that uh, have a singular ability and power to stay at the forefront of our minds. There's many moments in life that we remember fairly easy. And I would submit to you that there's probably few moments in life that we remember more than the life and the birth of our children. Perhaps if you're not a parent, the birth of your brother or sister or niece or nephew, there is just something truly awe-inspiring about physical birth where a new baby, a new child comes into this world that it is so powerful that people remember every single detail. We remember where we were. We remember what we were doing. For example, with my four kids, I have four kids, five coming soon. Um, praise God. Uh, we have four kids, and I remember every part of the day that they were born. I remember, for example, when Abigail was born, she was born out in Colorado. So we have two Colorado kids, two mountain kids, and then we have two kids that were born in Long Branch, so two beach kids. Abigail was born in the middle of a snowstorm. That's part of the reason we named her Abigail Aspen Durkin. Ethan, the firstborn, was uh, born in October in Colorado. And as you know, the firstborn always paves the way. The firstborn often is the one that gives mommy the hardest time. And it was definitely the case with Ethan. My poor wife, Melissa, was in labor for almost a full day, 24 hours, all kinds of difficult challenges and complications. And this was the first time I am going through this exciting process, the first time I'm witnessing this, the first time I'm experiencing this, and I was fully over my head, unequipped and unprepared. I didn't know what I should say, what I should do. Those men that help deliver babies, God bless you, because all I could do was stand there and just hope I didn't get yelled at too much. I once heard somebody say, what's the difference between a mother in labor and a terrorist? Well, you can negotiate with terrorists. All I could do was just say, I am so sorry. Uh, hold my hand. I know this is all. Yes, it's all my fault. I am so truly sorry. But what happens? The baby's born. The baby's born. And then you look into that precious little child, to that miracle. What are some of the words that are associated with birth? People say amazing, astounding, miracle. I remember when Joshua was born. He's our third born. He's six years old. Joshua truly was a miracle because he was born at 10 pounds and 5 ounces. Yes, yes. And Melissa didn't even take an aspirin with that delivery. Truly a miracle. Not only a miracle in his delivery, but also a miracle to get to the hospital. I don't know if you remember this. It was six years ago. But the day he was born was in August. And the same exact day that I would have to travel down Route 36 to get to Monmouth Medical Center in Long Branch was the same exact day that a horse named American Pharaoh, the Triple Crown winner, was traveling to Monmouth Racetrack for the Haskell. The same day that 80,000 people were traveling down the two-lane highway of Route 30, 36, I had to take my pregnant wife to the hospital. Miracle. Thank God everybody was okay. Every part of my children's birth, including Liam, I remember, and I am grateful. Let me ask you another question, a follow-up question. Do you remember the day you were born? Probably not by accident, right? Probably by design. But what we're going to do when we turn to the Gospel of John 
It is all about the true light of Christ. How he was not received by the world, how he was not received by his own people, and how those who do receive him have a transformation, an inner transformation that supersedes not only their physical birth, but supersedes even perhaps the lineage of their family. What do I mean by that? I've seen my children born. It is amazing. In all of its glory, in all of its shock and awe and humanity, it's amazing. The Bible says this, which truly more amazing, which truly longer lasting, is not your physical birth, but your spiritual birth. You see, the Bible says that the reality of our human condition is that all of, our, all of us are sinners by not only choice, but by nature. Because of our first parent, Adam, and because of the curse of sin, we are born with a certain alienation toward God. We are born with a certain proclivity toward sin. It's a nature that we cannot overcome by our own strength. We are born in God's image, born loved by God, but born as sinners who can't save themselves. So in John's gospel, what he has continually done is he has continually used the imagery of life and light, imagery that no matter what your background, what your upbringing, Jew or Gentile, Christian or unchristian, we can all relate to these images. Not only that, but he talks about creation. And he is giving us a view of Jesus Christ that is a heavenly view, that is a divine view. It not only reveals that the Word was made flesh, but that the Word was with God in the beginning. The Word was how God made everything there is. And the Word is, in fact, God Himself. John proclaims Jesus' deity right out of the gate. So what we see here is that Jesus was the agent, the Word, the speaking power that He used to bring everything that is into existence. But it's not just to say, all right, this is the Jesus we worship. It's to say this. Listen, friends. He has brought with him a new creation. Yes, he was there and he was with God. He is God. And he was the tool and the agent that God used to speak everything into existence. But now that Christ has come, what he is bringing is not only new life, not only true light, not only new creation, but new birth. You see, this is so fundamental and so foundational in our understanding of the gospel, that it truly does frustrate me and shock me that so many people are not familiar with what the Bible teaches about being born again. Now, as many of you know, and as many of you yourself are or were, we, you know, many of us grew up Catholic. So I remember when I was a Catholic kid hearing about those born-againers. Those born-againers. As if it was a denomination. You know, there's Presbyterian, there's Methodist, there's Lutheran, and then there's those really excited people. Those people that just talk about Jesus all the time. Born againers. But then I read the Bible. I read specifically verses like this, 
And then also verses two chapters later in the Gospel of John that talk about how new birth, new creation, and new life are essential to be a Christian. There is no Christian without new birth. There is no Christian religion without new life. There is no seeing the kingdom of God unless we believe, we receive, and we're born again through Christ. If you want to turn there, you can turn really quick to John chapter 3. We're going to study it in probably a couple months. But John chapter 3 says this in verse 1. It's the story of a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, so when you think of Pharisee, the, the literal word means set apart. These were a movement of uh, religious leaders that were trying to return God's people to God's law in hopes that he would deliver them from Rome. So they were known for their religious obedience, read legalism. They were known for adding to God's law, changing God's law, twisting God's law. But they were the epitome in the eyes of the Jewish people as holiness and faithfulness and knowledge of God. So one of these Pharisees finds Jesus in the dark. Why in the dark? Because he's ashamed that anybody would see him talking to Jesus and asking questions about Jesus in the light. A proud man, he sat on the Sanhedrin, he served on the ruling council. Nicodemus had a lot to lose by talking to this would-be Messiah. But here's how the story goes. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, what does it say? He cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm just going to let that sit in. What does that mean? Well, first off, what you have here is someone that's very knowledgeable of Scripture. Not only knowledgeable of Scripture, but knowledgeable of how to puff up the ego of religious people. Nicodemus is not only sneaking around in the dark, but he comes to Jesus with all kinds of flattery. Jesus, I know that you are a man from God, because how could anyone do what you're doing unless they are from God? What does our Jesus do? He looks him right in the eyes, and he says, truly, truly. Gets rid of all the flattery. Cuts straight to the heart. And by the way, everything Jesus ever said was true, right? So when he says, truly, truly, that means really, really pay attention. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, I say to you, Pharisee, I say to you, who's one who's found his identity in teaching and leading the law to God's people, Israel, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Why is he saying that? Because Nicodemus didn't know it. He didn't understand it. And this would be a complete category shift for him. In fact, we'll get into it in more detail when we study the Gospel of John in chapter 3. What we see here in the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, is that Jesus was not received by people like Nicodemus. In fact, he wasn't even received by the whole world. If you want to turn back to John chapter 1, we're going to see John build the foundation for what this means that Christ has come. Not only the Word made flesh, the Word who was God, 
but the word who makes us new, the true light. Verse 9 says this, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, chapter 1. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Let's stop right there. There's really two motions in this paragraph and in this section. So, what is John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, trying to communicate to not only believers then, but believers today, is simply this. Yes, of course, when Jesus came as the true light, the darkness did not receive him. In fact, later on, it'll say the darkness does not want to recognize him because the darkness knows its deeds are evil. Okay, So when it says the true light has come, the true light, that word true is very, very important. That, tr- that word true is not just an adjective, but that word true clarifies what it's describing. John would use it a lot. That light is the true light, as opposed to many other false paths, false lamps, false lights, false things that shine and twinkle and capture our affections and our attention. This, he, is the true light. So think of it this way, for example, and we'll go through all of this as we study the Gospel of John. Think of this, when God delivered his people Israel from tyranny, from bondage, from slavery in Egypt, under the heel of Pharaoh, God did it miraculously, supernaturally, through his mighty signs and wonders. And after he did that, he brought his people out so that they could enjoy him and worship him in the promised land. They were on this journey in the wilderness for 40 years, and every single day, God would supernaturally supply what? Manna from heaven, bread from heaven. Every single day, envision God supernaturally supplying bread from heaven. We thought perhaps that was all the manna from heaven would ever mean. We we thought perhaps that that pillar of fire that led them through the valley of the wilderness, would be all that that pillar of fire ever meant. But no, the Gospel of John's going to say, the true light has come, that Jesus is the bread from heaven. That he is the true bread. You see, what happened was, the people of Israel would eat the manna from heaven and then get hungry again. This is a spiritual bread, a spiritual sustenance, a spiritual satisfaction to which any bread, even the one raining from heaven, does not know of, cannot satisfy. It's only Christ as our true bread, Christ as our true light that reveals the way to being saved from the darkness. Amen? Verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. That's very, very important. Yet the world did not know him. So the same world that Jesus created, and the Bible takes it even deeper, church, the same world that Jesus sustains, the same world that Jesus upholds by his powerful word, Jesus not only is creator, Jesus is like the cosmic glue of everything that is. He is keeping it together. So that same Jesus that made everything is now not recognized by the one he made. It's almost like Pinocchio and Geppetto. Pinocchio, who's created by this woodworker, puppet maker, he's created, 
But then Pinocchio claims to have created himself. Pinocchio claims to be the random process of uh, uh, biological and evolutionary um, factors that randomly created him. No, what we see here in this scripture, in light of this truth, is that Jesus created everything. He created all of us. He created Pope Pinocchio. But we do not recognize him as our creator, as our father. He comes into the world. Not only does the world not recognize him, but listen, even the people that he came to, the Jews, our friends, our neighbors, the one that should have looked to him with the most expectation, the group of people that should have been most excited about his arrival because he was the long-awaited Messiah, the long-hoped-for anointed king that both the law and the prophets testify of, they didn't receive him either. This is truly tragic. Some of you know how much it hurts when a family member is no longer received. Perhaps you know how hard it hurts when you're not received by your family either. Jesus was not only rece- not received by the world he created, he was not received by the people that should have been welcoming his arrival. What's the point here? Not only explaining the reality that in our sinfulness we reject God's son, but it goes even deeper than that. As if to say, we, it's not enough to be born physically. It's not enough just to have life. We need to be born again and to have new life through Christ, okay? It's not even enough to be born of a heritage of very faithful religious people. It's not enough that you're perhaps your husband or your wife or your grandparents or your church or your pastor is born again. We have to experience new birth and new life. God doesn't have any grandkids. We get this? God has sons and daughters. Does not have any grandchildren. We cannot trust in the faith of our parents. We cannot trust in the reality of our physical birth. We cannot trust in our spiritual heritage. What does it mean for you to believe? What does it mean for you to understand who Jesus is, not only believe, but as it's going to say, receive him as God. Receive him as the true light of the world. It's going to say here in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, and that's both Jew and Gentile, but to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Speaking of the spiritual, miraculous new birth, what theologians call regeneration. Can we all say that together? Regeneration. God does something in us that we cannot conjure up on our own. Many men try to reform, but they cannot regenerate themselves. Many men try to change, but they cannot transform themselves. This is the stark reality of the human condition, that true transformation from the inside out only comes by Christ through the Spirit of God. But to all who did receive him, to those who 
believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What is it about the name? You ever wondered why there's such emphasis in the name? Well, clearly, the, uh, the first century church, the apostles would proclaim this in Acts chapter 4. There's only one name under heaven by which men are saved, the name of Jesus Christ. So that's significant. When you're looking to a Savior, there's only one name that will save. But in the end, the name means the totality of the person. The name proclaims and represents that person, everything he or she is. So when we're trusting in his name, we're trusting in everything that Jesus Christ has ever said that he is and everything that Jesus Christ has ever done. We're trusting not in our own name, our own past, our own will, our own power. We're trusting in his name. And when we trust and believe in his name, he gives us rights. I don't know if there's been a culture that's more obsessed and infatuated with rights than our own. Right? Right? <laughs> we are. Just grow up in an air of entitlement. This is my right. You're not going to take it from me. Here's what the right of sin is. If we choose to rebel against God, to dwell in our own self-righteousness, or to dwell in our own unrighteousness, here's the right of sin. Here's the wage of sin. It's death. That's the right that you get. Remember Adam and Eve, our first parents? Have you ever pondered this? Our first parents are born in absolute perfection. Paradise. They're born in the Garden of Eden, or created in the Garden of Eden, I should say created. They're created in the Garden of Eden. They don't have the stresses the effects, the toll of sin that we constantly deal with on a daily basis. And yet, even in paradise and per perfection, they choose to rebel against God, partake of the forbidden fruit, and yes, sin affects and infects everything in the world. Every atom, every person, every creature, everything's under a curse, okay? Do you remember what happened? God said this. This is powerful. God said, I tell you the truth. If you partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely what? They partook. Did they die? Yeah, eventually. Eventually they did. But here's, here's the reality of it. This is a very helpful spiritual truth, okay? First off, the enemy comes and says, what's the first word from Satan's mouth? What's the first word from the serpent's mouth? I tell you this, surely you will not die. God's a liar. You can be God. You know more about evil and good than he does. You won't die. So they partake of the fruit. They probably look around and say, hey, not dead. But what we do see is that all of a sudden there was guilt, there was shame, they were blame. They had no longer love for each other, no longer love for God. They were blaming each other. They were cut off from the grace of God. It describes God as someone who walked with them in the cool of the day, and now you have Adam thinking that he can hide from God. This is what sin does. You see, what happened was, this is so, so important, church, ready? They did die that day. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2. 
You were once dead in your sins and your transgressions. But God, thank God, but God who is rich in mercy made you alive in Christ. So here's the reality. Their spiritual death led to their physical death. We tend not to think that way. The reason that we're all going to die one day is because, our, because of the fall, because of sin. Our spiritual death precedes our physical death. And here's the good news, is that when we trust and receive Christ as King, as a Savior, and as Lord, He gives us new life. He gives us a new heart. And yes, even though this body will continue to deteriorate in this life, we have everlasting life promised to us. And that life begins today. Listen to how Peter puts it. These are remarkable words. What a powerful promise. Pastor Ryan read it to begin our service. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. He caused us. He caused us to be what, church? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Can we say imperishable? Undefiled. Can we say undefiled? And unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, we're born again now as a foreshadow of not only abundant life here in this life, but everlasting life in the next. You know the way that Jesus describes the end of all things? The tribulation, all these different different global events, catastrophes that will happen. He describes them as birth pains. Birth pains. You see, what Jesus Christ is doing is he's creating not only new life in each individual Christian's heart, but he's also creating new creation. And it all happens through his cross. That's where the book of Colossians says, God, he atoned for the sins of the world, making peace on heaven and on earth through the blood of his son. It's at the cross of Christ where the one who was born on Christmas died so that we could be born again. It's on the cross of Christ where the son of God laid down his life. Why? To make us sons and daughters of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Do you know him? And I don't mean like know about him. I don't mean head knowledge. How's this, church? Because we can't hear this and walk away and not wonder, how's my heart? You see, Nicodemus was so familiar with going through the religious motions, Jesus spoke right to his heart and said, it's all about new life and new birth through me. We can get very accustomed to doing the same thing. Very accustomed to coming to a heavenly father almost as if he is an absentee landlord, almost as if he is a difficult taskmaster, almost as if he's just waiting and watching for us to mess up. If we look at any of those three things in our relationship with our father, the enemy has deceived us. No, look to new life Look to the empty tomb. Look to the resurrection and be born again. Believe in Jesus. And he will not only give you a new beginning, but he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Let me read this from a, uh, one of my favorite authors, J.C. Ryle. He said this, To be born again, as it were, 
is to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things we once hated and new hatred to things we once loved, new thoughts of God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation forevermore. Hallelujah. When did religion rob us of our joy of life? When did Christianity become about us and not about Jesus making us new? Some of us, we need to come back and remember how much Jesus has done for us, how much he loves us. Listen, last point. When my kids were born, I heard a lot of different words, amazing, astounding, miracle. You know what heaven says when people are born again? Angels rejoice. Not only that, but think of the prodigal son. My son, who once was dead, is alive. My daughter, who once was lost, is now found. Let us rejoice. If you don't know him, don't miss this opportunity to receive him right now into your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and gracious, kind and merciful. Holy, holy, holy Father. And Lord, we know we don't have to pretend. We don't have to fake it. We know that we are in desperate need of grace. On a daily basis, sins of commission and omission, thoughts and action. We continually, Lord, go back to our slavery to sin, to our identity as rebels. Lord, the prodigals that come home tend to wander again. Forgive us, God, the prodigals that come home tend to turn into the self-righteous older brothers. I pray, Lord, that we would see Jesus as Nicodemus saw him that day and hear his words spoken to us directly to our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, would you please do it? Would you see in the dark a conversation between you, perhaps as an unrighteous or self-righteous person, seeking and searching, trusting in your own moral ability, and then you have the piercing eyes of Christ look directly at you and say this, this life-changing, destiny-altering truth, truly, truly, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Would you believe in Jesus this morning, my friends? Would you receive him, not just as an addition to your life, but as your life? Would you look to him as the true light that has come to lead us out of the darkness? Would you open up your heart your soul, your mind, your past, your present, your future, your doubts, and allow Jesus to make you new. Open your heart now, church.
Holy Spirit, would you do it, please? Believe and receive Christ. In the spirit of prayer, church, let's rise to our feet, shall we? Let's stand together.